Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. We'll dig in. This is going to be a great time. All right, let's get into the word of God. It's a little lengthy, but y'all bear with me. Y'all good? All right. 1 Samuel 16. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king amongst his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointing is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or, the, or his height or his stature. It says, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but man looks at the outer appearance, but it's God that looks at the heart. Verse 8, and Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Here's the same words, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shema pass before him, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains one youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and beautiful at eyes and handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took a horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. I want to preach today. From a short topic entitled discerning God's will. If you look at your neighbor and help me to announce that, say neighbor, say oh neighbor, discerning God's will. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to be before you. We pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that you would speak to us today. Would you use my mouth to speak only what it is that you want us to hear? But I also pray that you would help us to hear, open up our ears and open up our eyes and open up our heart that we may behold the wondrous things that is in your word. Pray that Jesus would be clear and that he would be proclaimed. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. May the gospel be pre preached today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Discerning God's will. So I think I speak on behalf of the entire church when I say that there are moments in life that I wish that, Josh, we're good. 
I, I wish that God would just drop down the answer to some of the hardest decisions. Anybody like that? Like, I just wish that there was a, a divine journal that God would drop in my lap and I could turn to page 187 and I could find out what to do here in 2022 bars. I didn't even know that was going to go together like that. But, but I just, I wish, I, I wish that God would remove gray areas of decision making out of my life and make everything black and white. The reality is he doesn't do that. That's that, that, that nothing can be further from the truth. We are not robots. This is not some cosmic wind-up clock. You're, you're not just running around and God is saying this is exactly what to do, but he gives us volition. He gives us free will and he gives us uh, this idea of emotions and we get to make decisions. Do you know the average human makes somewhere around 35,000 decisions a day? Like, think about that. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you are making close to 35,000 decisions. And some of these decisions are, are big decisions. Some of them are small decisions, big decisions and small, small, like, what do I eat today? What do I eat for breakfast? And what do I put on? And in small decisions like that, should I take the train? Should I take the bus? Should I drive? But then there's those big decisions that you have to make. Who should I marry? Corey, I think you made the right decision on that one. Where, should I relocate? Should I take this job opportunity? Should I, should, should I get into this friendship? We, those are big decisions. And the reality is big decisions have a way, if you make the wrong decision, it has a way of throwing you off the trajectory of life. If you make the wrong decision, it even can move you out of the very will of God. There are consequences to bad decisions. And, and, and so I just believe that when it comes to decision making, it is important for all of us to seek the Lord. It's important for all of us to seek wisdom. It's important for all of us to hear from God. I get scared of people that make decisions without seeking God, especially life altering decisions. I believe that God wants us to seek him. So we arrive at a passage in 1 Samuel 16. In 1 Samuel 16, I, I think it's hard for us to understand chapter 16 if we don't rewind eight chapters and understand chapter 8. I'll say it this way. It is impossible for you to understand the context of 1 Samuel 16 unless you understand what was happening in chapter 8. What's happening in chapter 8? The Bible says that Israel does not have a king, but they're begging uh, uh, Moses for a king. Samuel, they're begging for a king from Samuel. They're asking him, give us a king. Give us an earthly king. We want somebody to rule us. And here's the reason, Pastor Timmy, why they said give us a king, because they wanted to be like other nations. First of all, that's the first bad decision right there. Whenever you make a decision based on trying to be like somebody else, whenever you make a decision trying to be like the culture, Whenever you make a decision and you are trying to be like what you see on Instagram, Instagram is the worst place to try to compare yourself to because you are trying to live up to people that look perfect on Instagram. Marriages look like marriage goals on Instagram. You get behind the closed doors. Friendships look like their vacations look wonderful on Instagram. But it is not a good idea to make decisions based on what you see on Instagram. And so the Bible says in chapter 8, they're going, give us a king. Give us an earthly king. But, but, but Samuel is like, look, I got to warn you. If you get an earthly king, there's a bunch of stuff he's going to do. Number one, he's going to take a bunch of stuff from you. God has been their king. God has been ruling them. This is the God that made the Red Sea part and they walked on dry ground. But now you're asking for an earthly king that has no power to part a Red Sea? This is the God that made manna fall from heaven and fed them and provided for them day after day. But here they are asking 
for a man to, king, to, to rule them. And so Samuel says, look, if I give you a king, he's going to take some stuff from you. Can I, can I just do a TikTok dance through, through uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8? In, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, there's a bunch of he will takes about what, what the king will do. There's a bunch of he will takes in that chapter. Verse number 11, it says, he will take your sons and appoint them to be his chariots. Verse number 13, he will take your daughters and perfumers uh, to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. Verse 14, he will take the best of your fields and your orchards. Verse 15, he will take a tenth of your grain. Verse 16, if you get a king, he will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and donkeys and put them to his work. Verse 17, he will take a tenth of your flock. He will take, he will take, he will take. But despite being warned by the prophet Samuel that if you get an earthly king, he's going to rob from you, he's going to take from you. You know what they do? They still say, give us a king. And so God says, I'm going to let my hands off and let you go ahead and have a king. How many know that the first king of Israel is a guy by the name of Saul? The problem with Saul was Saul became disobedient to the Lord. And because he was disobedient to the Lord, I'm just giving context. Chapter 15, God rejects him. God says, Saul is no more, no longer in my favor. And so now I got to raise up a new king. But Samuel, it is your decision making and discernment that I'm going to use to raise up the next king. Don't miss this. Samuel is uh, Saul is rejected. Samuel has one job to pick the next king of Israel. But the problem is in chapter 16, he's not picking a king. He's mourning. In chapter 16, he's supposed to be doing what God told him to do. But unfortunately, he's in a season of grieving. Picking back up in verse number one. We good? Y'all got context now? Verse one, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve for Saul? Watch this. Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Saul up until this point led Israel for 40 years, but because he became disobedient, God says no longer will he rule and reign over Israel. And so therefore he's rejected. Samuel, go raise up a new king. Go anoint a new king. But I need you to go to Bethlehem to do it. And when you get to Bethlehem and you find the king, I'll, I'll, I'll show you through discernment who that king should be. But unfortunately, Samuel isn't being obedient. Samuel is stuck in a season where he is mourning over Saul and he's supposed to be making a decision. He is in a, he is, he's in a season that God rejected. He's mourning something that God put an expiration date on. Okay. I know there's no room in here, but won't you scooch over and let me just come sit next to you for a second? Because so many of us, we are judgmental when we look at Samuel in verse number one. But the reality is, have you ever been in a season where you were stuck and God already put an expiration date on it? You ever been in a season that God was like, you were supposed to move forward. You were supposed to be out of this season. But unfortunately, you are stuck in this season. And some of you are stuck in a relationship. God done gave you a sign. God done showed you. He made it clear as possible. But unfortunately, you've ignored all of the signs. Why? Because we get stuck in what God expired. We do that with jobs. Many of you are going day to day to a job that is robbing you of joy. You are not fulfilled. You know it is not the place that God called you to be at. But you are stuck at that job and you're going week after week, day after day. And the reality is I wonder if God has stamped expired on it. Some of us do it. When it, be, when it comes to new opportunities, we're afraid of new opportunities. 
We are afraid of, 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 of exploring something new. And so therefore, we stay stuck in a season where God is like, how long are you going to mourn over Saul? I've rejected him. Move on. Verse 1 should read much different. Corey, verse 1, he should be moving on and preparing the next king, but he is stuck and he is grieving over something that God has rejected. God has rejected some things in your life, and, but unfortunately, we stick in those seasons too long. Somebody look at your neighbor and just say, move on. Come on, I need you to help me preach. Just say, move on. Come on, put your NeNe Lakes voice on and say, I said what I said. Move on. You know, I hate, I hate, I hate uh, bad drivers. I, I, I just, if you're driving in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the fast lane and you're driving slow, like I'm, it just does something to me. I don't, I don't like when people are about to get off, you know, they're off ramp, but they, they wait until the last second to get off and they swing all the way over. This is the worst. I hate when I'm sitting at a red light and then the light turns green and then the person is still sitting there. I'll never forget. I was living in Philly and I was... I was heading up Broad Street. I was on my way to the church, and, and uh, there, there was a lady that was in front of me, and she was at a red light, and the red light went from red to green, and she didn't move. I don't know if she had headphones on or if her music in her car was just loud. Some, she was just distracted, and so I'm yelling out the window, come on, let's go. I'm waving my hand. I'm beeping my horn. I'm trying to get the lady to move on because there is nothing worse than being behind somebody that doesn't know when to move forward. Okay, just in case you still think I'm talking about the lady in Philly, I'm now talking about your life. There is nothing worse than being behind somebody that is stuck in a season and not moving forward. And God in heaven right now is screaming at you. He's waving his hand out the window. He's honking the holy horn. He's saying, move on because you're stuck in a season. I've rejected Saul. Saul is no longer king. Why are you mourning over Saul? Here's the crazy thing. Saul ain't dead. You would think he's grieving the death of Saul. He's not grieving the death of Saul. Saul doesn't die to chapter 31. In fact, Saul outlives Samuel. Samuel dies in chapter 25. So he's not grieving the death of Saul. He's grieving a season that he's invested in and he has not seen a return on that investment. Oh, man. Do you know that's why most of us in this room get stuck? We get stuck in a season because we've invested in it. And because I've invested time, because I've invested money, because I've invested energy, I'm waiting in this season until I get a return on it. But what if you've invested those things and God is like, I just wanted the investment to be the return. You're actually not going to get anything out of it. But what if God is like, just move on anyway. Do you know loyalty keeps us in seasons longer than we should be? Because I've been there. You know, just because you grew up with him don't mean y'all supposed to be boys forever. Just because y'all dated for so long doesn't mean that that's the one. There are some things in some seasons that were just supposed to be. And here's the beautiful thing. Number one, no season is wasted with God. He uses everything. Number two, no season is wasted with God. He uses everything. Because somebody just say God uses every season. There is no wasted season with God. So there's no need of being loyal to a default where you are stuck in a season. Move Come on, thank you for saying it. Move on. But be careful, Brittany, because when we say move on, oftentimes we move on to the first thing that opens up. Y'all know it's true. We move on to the first opportunity. We get in the first relationship. 
But I think there's some stuff in the text that can help us to understand when it comes to decision making, you're not often making a decision by what looks the part. Okay, let me try to make sense in the text. Verse four. Now he's going to move on. He's going to get out of this season of mourning. and He's going to be obedient to the Lord. In fact, number, verse number four says, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. And he came to Bethlehem and the elders of the city came to meet him and said, do you come peaceably? Peaceably, I have come. Uh, to sacrifice to the Lord, consecrate yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse six, and when they came, he looked at Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointing is on him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his outer appearance, his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees Man sees the outer, but the Lord looks at the heart. If I just kept reading on, you'll see that then he, he, he rejects Abinadad, and then he rejects Shema, and then the seven others. He rejects all of the sons. And this is so interesting to me because Samuel leaves out of wherever he was, and he starts moving towards Bethlehem. The Bible says that God said, take a heifer with you. That's a cow, by the way. That's just, I want to be clear about that. He says, take a heifer with you. Go and sacrifice the heifer. But when you, when you get there, I'm going to show you who the next king of Israel will be. He sees Eliab and he says, surely the Lord's anointing is on him. The first one, the first thing that passed in front of him, he thought was the Lord. And the Lord had to say, I rejected him. The Lord had to say, I know he looks the part, but he's not the one. And then he does that seven other times. And I'm reading this. I'm going, bruh, Samuel, you're the prophet of Israel. You got one job. Your one job is to discern the movement of your heart for Israel, and you are missing it. You think that the first one that comes past you is the right opportunity, and sometimes when you have to make a decision, the decision won't make sense. Sometimes it doesn't look, I don't know who I'm talking to, sometimes it doesn't look right. Let me say it this way, sometimes it's not packaged well. It doesn't meet your expectations. It doesn't look like what the Lord is going to do, but what he's doing in this text when he says, surely the Lord has anointed him, he's putting his desires over discernment. Won't you write this note down? The greatest enemy to discernment is desire. Say that again. The greatest enemy to discernment is desire. You can want something so bad that you convince yourself that it's God's will. When in reality, God is like, no, that's baby, that ain't your desert. That's just your desire. That's what you want. And so because you want it so bad, you've convinced yourself because you want it so bad. You ignored the signs because you want it so bad. You've ignored my voice. What if Samuel would have heard God's voice say he's rejected him? But he's like, oh, I want it so bad, though. I want him to be the king. He would be out of the will of God. He would be disobedient. So when it comes to decision making, you have to make sure that you're not just making a desirable decision, but you are making a discerning decision. Oh, man, this is a word for somebody. I know I told you to move on, but I want you to move on with a seatbelt. You to move on, but be cautious. Don't be hasty. Don't be quick. Don't go to the first thing, but you have to go to the God thing. And sometimes that's not. In fact, most of the time, it's not the God thing. Y'all need to ask me, say, say B, tell me how to, how to be more discerning. Can y'all ask me that? Say, say, B, tell me how to be discerning. Oh, y'all not asking me, y'all. Can y'all ask me, B, how to be discerning? One of the ways we can be more discerning is by making sure we commit every decision we make to prayer. 
I know that's not deep. I know you're like, I knew you was going to say that. But the reality is, you know how many people make decisions and don't pray about them? Do you know how many of y'all sat in this room and you're about to make a big decision? You haven't consulted the Lord. And, and God is like, look, you're about to make a decision. And you ain't even see my heart for it. You're making a decision that will affect your tomorrow. I'm in tomorrow. Won't you go ahead and bring me that decision? The, the first thing that sharpens our discernment is prayer. When people come to me and they're, they're like, oh, I'm about to make this big decision. I'm like, well, how much time have you spent praying about it? Well, not that much time. I'm like, come back to me when you made some, some serious, considerable time of prayer about that decision. Because I'm scared of people that do not like to pray over decisions. So prayer helps us to sharpen our decision, our, our discernment. You know what else sharpens your discernment? Godly friends. Oh, man. Do you know how many times we make decisions, but we do so the absence of the godly people that God put in our life. Proverbs chapter 15 says, with many advisors, plans succeed, but we run through life and we be like, I don't want to hear from her. She's going to judge me. He gonna judge. And we do this in relationships. I'm not going to present my boo until the last minute because I don't want nobody else to be in my business. I don't want, by the way, what business do you have that somebody can't be in? I don't want nobody to hear about this. I don't, want you, I don't want you asking me no questions because that's why that's desire, not discernment. That's desire, not discernment. And some of you in this room, that's where you are. It's not just ladies, bro. We do that too. I'm not, yo, I can't show them shorty. If I, if I bring them around the boys too quick, they're going to be like, nah, that ain't the one. See, and what we do is we, we would rather not get the advice, godly advice of counsel and then get in the relationship anyway, and then you've wasted time, your heart is broken, you now don't have trust, you have trust issues with other relationships because you got into this. See, this is why, you remember when American Idol was first out? You know, when the people would come up and they would audition, they didn't know how to sing. I never got mad at the people that didn't know how to sing. I got mad at the friend that brought them that did not tell them, you don't know how to sing. And there are some decisions that we want to make, but you need to run it past your people and they need to be able to say, nah, that ain't your gifting. That, that ain't the Lord. That, that, that might not be God. Because what we do is we run so fast, but we have to sharpen our discernment. Prayer sharpens our discernment. Godly counsel sharpens our discernment. The greatest enemy to discernment is desire. Want it. Because you want it, you're going to move forward with it. I, I love what Samuel does. Samuel doesn't move on the first thing. He thinks that's God. He says, surely this is the Lord's anointing. Eliab, you're, you're the one. He's going to be the next king of Israel. God is like, no, 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 no. That's not him. Bring the next son. Shema, no, no that's not him. Abinadad, that, nope, that's not him. Seven other sons, nope, none of them are it. Do you know that God rejected eight people at this point? Saul is rejected. The seven sons are rejected. Oh, but there's a boy in the field. He is the one that God is going to pick. Look at verse 11. It says, then Samuel said to Jesse, all of your sons here. And he said, there remains the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for I will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and he brought him. Now he was ruddy and beautiful eyes and, and had beautiful eyes and handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. For this is he. Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Do you understand what is happening? Finally, he makes a decision that is a discerning decision that he heard the voice of God and God said, this is him. And so he's obedient to God. 
he finally anoints David to be king. The least likely candidate. The decision that you would not have made unless you sought the Lord. The boy that's in the field. Let me tell you something. Anybody else should have been picked but the boy that's in the field. But that's normally how God does. And this is why when I talk about uh, discerning God's will for your life, discerning God's will for your life oftentimes means that he picks stuff from the field, not the stuff that looks right. I know it seems right, but it might not be the Lord. I know it feels right, but it might not be the Lord. What if your next decision isn't on your vision board? What if the decision you need to make doesn't meet your expectations? What if the decision you make doesn't, isn't packaged well, doesn't look right, doesn't look the part? But what if that is what the Lord is saying, this is he, the next king of Israel? Seven sons pass by. He rejects all seven. David passes by, the least likely candidate. He says, this is the one. What I love about this passage is, yes, Samuel is the decision maker in the passage. And he has, a, he, he has the ability to hear from God and then move on what he hears. But don't miss this. Even though Samuel is the one that's discerning it, Samuel didn't pick the king. God picks kings. Oh, gosh. If you don't get nothing else, please hear me. God picks kings. Kings. Yes, we are talking about David here, but and David is from Bethlehem, but the ultimate king that he picks is also from Bethlehem. This ultimate king that he picks has a throne that's established forever. This next king he picks is not an earthly king. This next king that he picks doesn't have an earthly throne or, or an earthly army or a bunch of servants. He comes lowly and he dies for the servants. Remember in, 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 the, in the first part of the sermon when I said in chapter eight, it says he will take Earthly king, he will take, he will take. But guess what? The king that he picks to save our souls takes nothing. But he gives everything. What does he give? He gives his life as a ransom for us. He stands in our place because we are condemned. We should have been condemned. I love the way Ephesians chapter 2 will say it. I once was dead in trespasses of my sins in which we once walked following the course of this world and by nature were children of wrath. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved you, made you alive together with Christ. The end of that, that, that verse says, by grace, you have been saved. God picks kings. And yes, Israel might have rejoiced over David. Israel might have rejoiced over Saul. But I promise you in this room, we should be rejoicing over our King Jesus. Because our King Jesus does what no earthly king would ever do. Jesus dies for our sins, Pastor Timmy, sometimes I feel like we say that and we preach that and it's like, ah, oh, that's just the end of the message. No, it's everything. It's, it's, it's everything. The fact that Jesus was willing, not begrudgingly. He didn't go to the cross and was upset about it. Hebrews says, with the joy set before him. He endures the cross. Why? Because he loves you that much. The next king brings grace. The next king is, is perfect. Do you know David is picked here, but David made a mistake and David falls? We talked about it last week. The, the, the kings, the earthly kings are all flawed, but the final king, and this is why we need no other king. We need no other prophet. We need no other priest. Jesus does what we need. Jesus gives what needed to be given. He gave everything. He gives his life for us. There's somebody in this room right now, you're struggling with a decision to make, but I promise you the greatest decision you have to make is if you're going to give your life to the Lord. 
Some of you have been coming week after week after week after week, and you know you just kind of like the vibe and you like the flow. And but you you get you don't know it, but you're getting wooed into the presence of God. He's wooing you into love His Son Jesus Christ. And as we talk about God picks kings, He picked the best King for you in Jesus Christ. Who is it today that would say, "I don't know Jesus"? There's two types of people I want to pray for. Number one, the person that will say, I'm far from the Lord. And you may not be far in terms of behavior, but disposition, we're far. I don't care if you're morally good. It's bad English, but good ain't good enough. God wants perfect. And we get perfection in the king that he picks for us. Who is it that would say, that's me? I don't know the Lord. Came to church today. I don't know him, but I want to get to know him. I want to get on. I want to start this journey. That decision is the important one that you need to make today. Who is it that would say that's me? Who is it? Even if you've professed faith in the Lord, but you're not living up to his lordship. I'm going to pray for you. The second person I want to pray for is the person that you know you got a real, you got a serious decision ahead of you. Remember that divine, you know, journal I talked about dropping down from heaven? You need that. That, that, That's the type of clarity you need. That decision has been surrounded by black, uh, by, by, by gray, and you want it black and white. You want it clear. You want a yes or a no. I believe God can give you clarity today if you would seek his face. Who is it that has a decision to make? And you're like, oh, I just need to pray about this. Who is it? Who is it? Come on. Come on. Show them hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands. I was going to do an altar call, but beautiful thing about the altar is the altar comes to you today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, all of us have decisions to make. And I think, we, I think we'll, we'll be honest that we don't always make the best decisions. We don't always make the wisest decisions. We don't always make the godliest decisions. We certainly don't always seek you. Sometimes it seems clear. Father, I think we learned in the text that there were seven other men that seemed right, that looked right, but you've rejected Father, as we go through life, would you sharpen our discernment? As I talked about godly counsel, put godly people around us so that we can make a godly decision. And I pray that we would give them permission to speak into our life without us being offended. That you would put people in our life that, that know us and love us and speak truth to us and always point us back to Jesus in our decision making. Father, these decisions that we have to make, Lord, we... We, we don't treat them casually. But we understand, oh God, that every decision we make can change the trajectory of our life. And we never want to be out of your will. So, Father, align us with you today. Align us with your heart today. Give us discernment. Help us not to override discernment with desire. But, Father, help us to follow after you and all that we do. And that includes our decision making. Some of us have decision fatigue We've made too many decisions. We're tired. We don't know which one to make. And so, Father, we're just going to go with the next open door. Father, if that is our disposition, shut the door. Shut the door. Because we only want to walk in the way you've called us to walk. Finally, Lord, I pray for those decisions that aren't packaged the way we want them packaged. Those decisions that don't meet our expectation. 
that don't look right, don't look the part. Father, I pray for those decisions today in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that that person that's in that season that you've rejected and you've moved on from, pray that you would give them the boldness to move on today for your glory and for your honor and for our good. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.